We are recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We wish to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening. Hi everybody, I'm Priscilla. And I'm Elise. Welcome to Novel Feelings, where we discuss representations of mental health issues in fiction novels. And welcome back to another review episode as part of Season 2. Today we are reviewing A Duke by Default by Alyssa Cole, and I am very excited to talk about this. Me too. I first came across this book because I was reading a lot of excellent reviews about Alyssa Cole's Reluctant Royal series as a whole. Yeah. So this book, A Duke by Default, is number two in that series. And I thought, one, Alyssa Cole is an excellent romance writer. (laughs) And we know how much you love romance books. That's right. And this one has a character who has ADHD and that's not something that you see a lot in romance or at least not that I've come across and I thought it would be really interesting for us to talk about ADHD in particular. Yeah like I can't really remember that many books I've read with characters with ADHD. The only one that comes to mind is Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Yeah. And I wouldn't really call that ADHD representation because it's described as the demigods, so the children of the gods have Mm. ADHD. They're said to have ADHD because their brains are, like, wired to Mm. be different, which is, I suppose, arguably true for ADHD, but not because people are children of the gods. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's more like a sort of early warning sign that somebody might be a demigod. Mm -hmm. Um. Which, yeah, probably isn't that true, not backed up by the neuroscience in real life. <laughs> we don't know if, yeah, <laughs> if you have ADHD, that means you're son of Zeus. <laughs> you know. Wouldn't that be a nice twist? Yeah. yeah. No, I have to say, while we're on the topic of Percy Jackson, you know, it might not be accurate representations, but I anecdotally, at least I know one child who accepted their diagnosis of ADHD a lot easier because you know oh that means i'm just like percy jackson yeah it's pretty cool oh yeah. <laughs> there's something really cute about that yeah i know <laughs> but also it comes back to the whole thing about you know why representation is important exactly <laughs> anyway before we get too far into our episode a couple of quick disclaimers first of all we are a spoiler podcast so we will be spoiling what happens in a duke by default secondly this podcast shouldn't be taken as therapeutic advice And finally, we're speaking today as psychologists and book lovers, not necessarily from lived experience of the the mental health issues that are covered in this book. Our voices are limited this way, but stay tuned at the end of this episode for some more information about these issues, including writing from people with lived experience. And who is Alyssa Cole? Hmm. Alyssa Cole is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of historical, contemporary and sci-fi romance, as well as thrillers. Her Civil War set espionage romance, An Extraordinary Union, was the American Library Association's RUSA Best Romance for 2018, and A Princess in Theory was one of the New York Times' 100 Notable Books of 2018. She's contributed to publications including Bustle, Shondaland, The Toast, Vulture, RT Book Reviews, and Heroes and Heartbreakers and her books have received critical acclaim from many publications. In an interview, Alyssa has also spoken about how she came to self-diagnose as ADHD, which was then confirmed by a therapist. So this is what she said. I'd already worked this out on the page via Porsche, but the realization that you aren't fundamentally fucked up is really huge. 
that your brain works differently and there are reasons behind this. And some things you can change with work and some things you can't. But there is nothing wrong with you. That's a lot to take in. And I wish I had known earlier. I love that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that this was an own voices story when I first started reading it. It was only when I was planning for this episode that I came across this interview with Alyssa Cole. And I think that, you know, when I was reading it, I thought this seems authentic. Um, you yeah. know, I don't have ADHD, but knowing people who do and having worked with people mm-hmm. in a professional capacity who do through my counseling work, I felt that this was quite authentic and quite a nuanced portrayal. And you know, spoilers for my opinions of the book, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think this book almost represents a character who is coming to terms with understanding and acceptance of how mm-hmm. her own brain works, yeah. which I thought was really nice. Yeah, absolutely. I actually did not know that this was on voices either until I saw your note on this <laughs> planning document, but I have seen Alyssa uh, retweet or uh, tweet out links I think on on her page about ADHD and so I knew that it was important to her in some way. We will link to that interview in our blog post that accompanies this episode. Yeah well worth a read and about the book itself. This book is about New York City socialite and perpetual hot mess Portia Hobbs is tired of disappointing her family, friends and most importantly herself. An apprenticeship with a struggling sword maker in Scotland is a chance to use her expertise and discover what she's capable of. Turns out she excels at aggravating her gruff silver fox boss when she's not having inappropriate fantasies about his sexy Scottish burr. Tavish Mackenzie doesn't need a rich, spoiled American telling him how to run his armoury, even if she is infuriatingly good at it. Tav tries to rebuff his apprentice and his attraction to her. But when Portia accidentally discovers that he's the secret son of a duke, rough around the edges Tav becomes her newest makeover project. Forging metal into weapons and armour is one thing, but when desire burns out of control and the media spotlight gets too hot to bear, Amina turned duke and his posh apprentice find lasting love? As you mentioned, Priscilla, this is book number two in the Reluctant Royals series. Book one follows her best friend Naledi in her own romance. My apologies if I've said that incorrectly. You can probably read this one without reading the first book in the series if you are curious, but I would encourage people to read them in order. You know, again, with a spoiler warning, we will partially include spoilers for book one, but book two, I think, is really interesting because of the ADHD representation that comes on board. Mm. And we've both read all three main books in the series. Um, And there are some novellas as well. So of the three main books, which one is your favourite out of interest? My favourite is the third one, which is A Prince on Paper. Uh, so that features Nia, Naledi's long-lost cousin, and Johan. Comes uh, in book two. Yes, we, we meet yeah. Johan in this book. Because I was going to say he's a prince, but he's actually not a prince. He's a step-prince. He's the stepson <laughs> of a king. Yeah. I've said in our Bridgerton rant, my knowledge of how <laughs> royalty and dukedom works mm. is fairly limited. So we yeah. We might get some things wrong in that capacity too. Yes. Well, all my knowledge about the peerage comes from romance novels. (laughs) (laughs) Which one is your favourite? A Duke by default. (laughs) (laughs) I think I just have a soft spot for Tav. Maybe I'm just all about the buff Scottish swordsman. With the sexy Scottish burr. (laughs) (laughs) What is a burr? I don't know. We need the Scottish burr. Let me Google this. Scottish burr. (laughs) 
think it's the way they say they there are something. I think it's the rolling R. Yeah. yeah, which I can't do. My mum can do it really well, I think, because she's Polish. So there's right. like European thing yeah. coming in. But oh, I just Googled Burr and it came up with Aaron Burr Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Different Burr. Aaron Burr, sir. <laughs> Not helpful. Yeah. yeah. And I really love Portia. She's my favourite of the three key mm. protagonists. But I did enjoy the others as well. I would recommend reading them. They're a bit like... Like I've spoken about before, I'm not really like a big romance reader. I tend to like more kind of fantasy romance and like historical romance, although I don't mind the occasional one. You know, they're not necessarily, you know, my genre, but yeah, I did enjoy these. So thank you for suggesting that we read them. Yeah. And if you missed the Instagram story, I think Elise asked for the first one and I was like, read the whole series. Yeah, you just passed on the entire thing. And then I just held on to them until I finally got around to them. Just a quick note today as well. We are actually, for the first time, recording in person uh, in a recording studio today, which is really exciting. In case you're wondering, we we might sound a little bit different with our microphones, Mm -hmm. but hopefully in a good way. Hopefully we can do more of this in the future now that a, we have the ability to travel more, mm. to actually be in person, and B, we actually have access to a recording studio now, which is fantastic. Yeah, certainly. I won't pretend that I'm paying for it. or anything. <laughs> It may be a free <laughs> recording studio that's available to me as a student perk, but mm. I will take that and run with it. Yes. As long as my student card gives me entry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you only get so many perks as a student. Should I've got to take, take advantage of them. I will take those perks while I can. Yeah. <laughs> okay. As you may have guessed, what we're covering today includes ADHD, so attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, as well as its broader impacts on the self and relationships. A couple of additional content notes. As this is a romance book, there is some sexual content in here, so we will refer to that, but as per usual, won't go into graphic detail. Mm -hmm. This book also covers topics such as sexism, classism, and difficult and arguably abusive family relationships too. Mm, Borderline. Yeah, you could certainly um, argue that they are classed that way. Yeah, so we will be touching on those as we go through the story. Mm. All right, and now we will start our recap and detailed discussion. Portia is a wealthy African-American woman in her late 20s. She has decided to launch Project New Portia. She used to party, drink and have one night stands and tested the boundaries of her friendships. In Project New Portia, she has decided to become sober, to commit to, quote, sexual figanism, unquote, (laughs) and to overhaul her life. She believes that she is a perpetual hot mess, in her words. And that there is something wrong with her. Yeah, so having met Portia in book one, A Princess Mm. in Theory, we saw that side of her where maybe she was drinking and partying beyond the level that is healthy for her Mm. and was definitely impacting on her relationship with her best friend, Naledi. So taking advantage of her friendship a little bit, like maybe not being that supportive and calling her at all hours of the night, asking to crash on her couch and not really being there for her as much as I think Mm. either of them really wanted. Yeah, and didn't she, wasn't she pretty terrible about the whole you're a princess thing as well? Yeah, I vaguely yeah. remember that. But yeah. at the start of the book, she's definitely like, I want to change. I want to yeah. be a better person. <laughs> I want to be a better friend. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's because in book one, I think she nearly lost Naledi as well. And that was quite a significant relationship for her. Definitely. So, yeah, we didn't get a lot of Portia in book one, but we, we got a bit of background. 
And Portia definitely struck me as someone who seems quite confident on the outside, but at her core really doesn't like herself very much. And you know, beyond just, I suppose, being critical of her own mistakes and her own actions, but sort of thinks mm. there's something fundamentally wrong with her, which mm. is explored as the book goes on. Mm, absolutely. So then Portia arrives in Scotland. So she's taken an apprenticeship at, I have no idea how to pronounce this word. Bodotria? Bodotria? I don't know. <laughs> she's taken an apprenticeship at an armory. Yes. <laughs> um, so Portia is actually really well qualified for this apprenticeship. Mm. So she has an MFA from NYU, a master's in art history from Columbia, and several internships at famous galleries and museums. But she is doubting herself and her decision to take the apprenticeship. So her plan is described as one, go to Scotland, two, make swords, three, dot, 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 four, prosper. <laughs> She's, this has been her pattern as well. Studies something, picks up an apprenticeship or a job here and there, does that for a little while, picks up something else, new skills, new hobbies, new knowledge yeah. along the way. And, you know, is very privileged as well. So she's, she's from a very wealthy family. Yeah. Right? She has the ability to sort of do these courses at very expensive <laughs> universities and so on. Give her credit for her own skill because uh, yeah. she's a very intelligent woman, mm. but a bit unstructured, I guess, with her career path. Yeah, I was going to the unkind way of saying it is whitey. Yeah, <laughs> she's critical of that herself too. Yeah. So she doesn't really know what she wants to do. It does bits and pieces along the way. Yeah, and I think her mum said at one stage, when are you going to stop being a jack of all trades and master of none? Yeah, yeah. pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Portia arrives at the armory after her boss forgot to pick her up, by the way. <gasps> Rude. Yeah. And sees two people fighting and she assumes the worst because these two people, one is quite a large male and the other one is a woman. In a moment of panic, Portia pepper strays the attacker only to learn that the attacker is Tafish McKenzie, her new boss, and these two people were sparring. <laughs> so Project New Portia is off to a great start. <laughs> what a great meet, cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so may have misrepresented the situation a little bit there. And of course, the boss is like, it's an armory. What do you expect? People are going to be fighting. But she's, she had a moment of panic. And yeah, fair enough. <laughs> understandable. Yeah, so we meet Tav. So Tav is a talented biracial swordsman in his late 30s and owns the armory. So he's divorced and sworn off relationships. It's pretty clear from fairly early on that they have a mutual attraction, but mm. Tav immediately holds a grudge against Portia due to the macing incident. He also assumes that she's underqualified and should not have taken on the apprenticeship. Because he didn't mm. make the decision to hire her, did he? No, or someone else. It was Tav's brother, Jamie, who decided that they needed an apprentice. And Jamie was also the one who interviewed everyone and picked Portia at the end. I think there's a lot of reasons for Tafish's what's the word resistance hmm. and um, grumpiness towards <laughs> Portia one he seems quite proud about you know I run this armory everyone depends on me I can do this by myself I yeah. don't need anyone else yeah thing and then Portia shows up and she's this clearly rich woman yeah like impeccably yeah. groomed um, in heels yeah. <laughs> after a long haul flight sort of thing. Respect like, to anybody who can do that. Yeah. <laughs> and she's got really nice suitcases and stuff. And Tavish, I think, has that. He's a bit classes, I think, in that he has an immediate a first reaction to anyone who seems to come from money. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that classist if it's it probably the other not way classes. Reverse classism? I don't know. That's probably not. <laughs> he, yeah. he makes assumptions about her based yeah. on her mm. appearance and her apparent class yeah. and just assumes that she mm. won't be like willing to get her hands dirty and yeah. maybe just got there because of her money or privilege. Yeah. And so on. So it's an interesting, I guess, flip of mm. the dynamic that you often see portrayed in media where, mm. you know, Portia's a black woman mm. but she is wealthy as well yeah. so the wealth is almost protecting against some of the assumptions that come from mm. a person being black and like some yeah. of the racism that comes there so yeah yeah I thought that was it was just an interesting dynamic that they have absolutely and it's worth noting that Tafish is white passing I found this with an interview that Alyssa did with EW mm-hmm. so Alyssa Cole spoke to EW and she was asked you know did you have any particular celebrity silver foxes in mind while writing? And she said, I pictured him as Taika Waititi while writing. No. <laughs> so, so Tavish is half Chilean. Yeah. So I'm glad I read that without having that because I know I would have just pictured Taika Waititi the entire time, but with a sword. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be an interesting look for yeah. Taika Waititi. Um, but yes, so Tav is white passing but he was actually raised by two parents of color Mm. his mom is a chilean refugee and he talks later in the book about what it was like to for people to assume that he would join them in being racist towards people like his own parents yeah yeah so there's that interesting dynamic in the mix as well. Yeah, for sure. I did wonder if there were some layers of sexism that were in there too. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that part where Portia just keeps like calling out sexist cliches. Yep. <laughs> I think like the first one is that Taff was helping her pull her suitcases up the stairs and he was like, what have you got an elephant in here? And Portia is, you know, packing your entire life in suitcases. It's not a deeper move. <laughs> no, there's nothing shallow about needing multiple suitcases to move internationally yeah, for months at a time. Exactly. <laughs> and I think at one stage she, he called her princess. And she was like, actually, I know my best friend is a princess and she's one of the hardest working people I know. <laughs> True that. <Yeah. laughs> I can sort of understand why Tab is set up that way with, mm-hmm. you know, the assumptions you might make when someone makes a bad first impression. But I do appreciate that Portia was written in a way that calls it out and Tav um, unlearns a lot of his assumptions as the story goes on. Mm, Absolutely. Anyway, Portia starts her apprenticeship, including learning about the armory and sword making, training, overhauling their website and their social media presence. She documents her daily activities on Insta Photo because we can't refer to Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) The legally distinct form of Instagram. Yeah. And her social media audience start to become interested in the armory, including a video of Taff that goes viral with the hashtag Sword Bay. (laughs) I love that. I love that too. So Porsche becomes pretty integrated with the day-to-day running of the armory. Over the course of the book, we learn more about Porsche's family as well. So... Portia has a pretty rocky relationship with her parents who view Portia as being flighty and unfocused and compare her regularly to her sister. Mm-hmm. So Portia's mother calls her work at the armory a silly apprenticeship. 
and it's not just the parents that are comparing Portia to her sister. So Portia does this too. Mm. So for reference, her sister Reggie is very like academically accomplished and runs a successful blog called Girls with Glasses, which is about women in academia. Reggie also was very sick in the past and Portia feels a lot of guilt around that, feeling that she didn't do enough to support her. And Portia also is very critical of herself and believes herself to be a mess because Reggie seems so accomplished despite having a physical disability and despite overcoming an illness, like mm. a really significant illness yeah. as well. Yeah, so I think it was a brain tumour that actually caused her disability and I think they weren't sure if she was going to make it at some stage. And Portia didn't know how to cope with that too, yeah. so found herself avoidant of the situation at times and mm. feels that she wasn't there enough, like wasn't there to yeah. support Reggie yeah. enough, even though Reggie's doing okay now. Mm. But their relationship's strange, not because Reggie has yeah. a grudge against her, but because of how Portia feels about how good of a sister she has or hasn't been. It's a self-perpetuated thing yeah. on Portia's end. It probably doesn't help that they are twins. Not, no. not identical, but still twins. And when you're a twin, I think you are each other's measuring tape sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, yeah, when Reggie was sick, Portia accidentally overheard their mom saying, you know, not in this exact words, but close enough, you know, why Reggie? She's always the one with so much potential. Yeah. Poor Portia has been compared to Reggie for her entire life. Yeah. And essentially been told that she's not good enough. Yeah. And it's. <laughs> I think this is later in the series, but at one point, Portia says all her life she's been sent to deportment classes and beauty pageants and, you know, learning to be this a particular kind of woman. I suppose Reggie goes to do all the academic stuff. Yeah. And it's very much like her parents have decided that Reggie's capable of doing these things and Portia's personality means he should just make a good wife. Mm. Uh, yeah and we know that Portia is really intelligent as Mm, well and capable Mm. but her parents just seem to think because she hasn't settled down in one career that there's something wrong with her and then that leads Portia to think there's something wrong with herself as well Mm. and yeah I don't love the relationship between Portia and her parents yeah it's not outright abusive but you it's not healthy it's not healthy at all no Mm. And now we're going to get more into sort of the reason why we decided to cover this story. We've already got a picture of what Portia thinks about herself and some of the difficulties that she's had over time. And at one point in the story, Reggie sends Portia a video from a blog contributor called Hot Mess Helper. And in the video, the presenter says, always missing deadlines? Fuck yeah. Is impulsive your middle name? Yep. Do you constantly forget to pay your bills, even though that money is just chilling in your bank account? Come on, you know you could have paid that shit three months ago. Can you play guitar, paint a still life in watercolour and oil, and bake a 17-layer cake, but can't remember to move your laundry to the dryer? Mm. Or she's intrigued. <laughs> so she continues to watch the channel, and the presenter starts talking about ADHD, and Portia starts to realise that this might actually be her experience. Yeah. So let's talk about what ADHD is. So as Elise mentioned before, it stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder. So it is one of the most common neurodevelopmental disorders. Often it is first diagnosed in childhood and because it's a neurodevelopmental disorder, it lasts into adulthood. It's not something that goes away. No, although Mm. symptoms can lessen over time and probably at 
for some people to the point where they might no longer meet the threshold for diagnosis. But yeah, it's considered to be something that you're born with that Mm -hmm. impacts you throughout your life. Yeah. And people with ADHD may have trouble paying attention, controlling impulsive behaviors. So they might act without thinking about what the result will be. And they may be really restless or even overly active in the description sometimes as if they're being driven by a motor. Yeah. Inattentive symptoms include a lot of daydreaming, a lot of forgetting things, frequently misplacing or losing things, becoming easily distracted, and having difficulties with planning and staying on task. Symptoms of hyperactivity include talking excessively, trouble waiting their turn, interrupting others, running or climbing inappropriately. Probably seen more in children. Yeah, Uh, in adult that translates into just a feeling of restlessness when they have to sit for long periods of time. Yeah. So there are three subtypes or diagnosable subtypes. So there's predominantly inattentive, predominantly hyperactive, impulsive, and a combined type where both both types of symptoms are seen. So used to be called ADD, mm-hmm. attention deficit disorder. And I think in more modern times, it's just called ADHD, but it's considered a spectrum mm-hmm. more than anything else. So yeah, people tend to experience some degree of both types of symptoms. Yeah. And closely related to ADHD is difficulties with something called executive functioning. So broadly speaking, executive functioning refers to the thinking skills that help people engage in goal-directed action. Things like decision-making, controlling your own behaviour, planning, motivation to achieve goals, preparation, organisation. People who have difficulties with executive dysfunction tend to struggle to direct themselves in a way that will accomplish long-term goals. Mm. Executive functioning is usually the task of your frontal lobe, Mm. so the very front part of your brain, the top part of your brain. ADHD isn't exactly the same as executive functioning Mm. difficulties, but there is a big overlap between Mm. those. So I often find that's quite helpful to think about it, is just this part of your brain is, you know, maybe having a bit more trouble with all of this forward planning, preparation, Mm. thinking, attention, all of that kind of thing. It's not that somebody doesn't want to do that. Yeah, (laughs) It's nobody's fault, Mm. but yeah, they're just having more difficulties because of the way that their brain works. It's just wired differently. Yeah, absolutely. Most people assume that ADHD is a childhood thing, but as we mentioned before, because it's neurodevelopmental, it's the way your brain works, so you don't outgrow it. It's often missed in girls, and lots of women get tend to get diagnosed later in life. Yeah, the stereotype of someone with ADHD is usually like, a child being disruptive in a classroom a who boy, can't sit still. A boy, well. yeah. 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 And for girls, they tend to not have the same degree of like forward facing mm. symptoms, mm. but difficulties with like inattentiveness might be things like daydreaming more often yeah. or difficulty with planning and organization and might not have so much like the hyperactivity symptoms, although mm. those can still be there. But the hyperactivity might look more like talking a lot, yeah. um, difficulty sitting yeah. still as opposed to mm. more disruptive kinds of things. Yeah. In children, the most obvious impact of this would be school. Yes. In adulthood, it can cause difficulty at work, in relationships, also at home. I think, and this is anecdotally as well, but in my experience assessing adults for ADHD, there's that sense of, you know, I don't feel normal. And if everyone feels this way, then surely something is really wrong with a lot of people. Yeah. That sense of maybe I'm broken or something is really wrong with me. Why can't I accomplish things that other people find really easy to do? And that's probably the most 
heartbreaking thing to see. Yeah, we'll cover in a moment the treatment and support and how people can learn to manage with ADHD. Mm. But I think what's really interesting to me about this story is how it impacts on people feel about themselves mm. and judge themselves and like that broader impact, not necessarily just the symptoms mm. alone. So in Portia's case, we get a real sense of how having ADHD, undiagnosed ADHD, mm. has impacted on how she thinks about herself and how she judges herself. You know, from the start, we learn that she believes that she's a hot mess. Mm. <laughs> That's a term that comes up again and again. Yeah. It's this kind of core belief that seems to be underlying a lot of these other thought processes that she has. Mm. So, for example, seeing herself as a, a jack or a Jill of mm. all trades, master of none, Um and she tries to challenge these at times. Uh, there's a point where she remembers what her therapist, Dr. Lewis, said to her. Just because your parents don't appreciate what you do doesn't mean it holds less value. But she's definitely internalised some of those awful things that her parents have said to her throughout mm. the years. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a quote about that. Yeah. <laughs> She'd always been told that she was flighty, flaky, lacy, scattered, impulsive. But she was also curious and super engaged when something interested her. Still, the negative always outweigh the positive. Something in her loosened with relief as the possible diagnosis repeated itself in a loop in her brain. ADHD. 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 She had a word to use for her behavioral patterns. There were other people who felt the same way she did, maybe. Mm. And this, yeah, really gives me the sense of how there can be validation in a diagnosis and learning to understand what's underlying a lot of these difficulties that you might be having. I fully understand that a lot of people don't like diagnoses, don't like labels, Mm. and that's perfectly fine and there's an argument, many arguments against them. Mm. But clearly in Portia's case, she found understanding and meaning in Mm. that. And I think it kind of triggers this change in how she sees herself once she starts to realise this might be the case for her and has a bit of a self-diagnosis. Mm. Yeah, I think there, at least in, in Portia's case, there is a real value in getting this, yeah. she's not formally diagnosed, yeah. but sort of, sort of starting to go, hang on, this might be me. This yeah. might be what's underlying a lot of these challenges I've had throughout my life. Yeah, absolutely. And can I just note that I really enjoy how she keeps thinking about what her therapist says? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we don't meet the therapist in this story, but Portia refers back to things that she's spoken about with her therapist a number of times, which I always appreciate a good normalization yes. of therapy in a story. So. Yeah, that's right. And especially because the therapist never actually gives an answer or an actual judgment about what's going on, at least in the way Portia mm. remembers their conversations. It's always sort of these exploratory questions that, you know, obviously directed towards like, think yep. about this. But, yep. Yeah. And it, she does think about those things, which is really nice to see. Definitely. So Portia takes an online assessment and starts following some of the tips in the Hot Mess Helper videos. These include starting a to-do list journal, emptying the trash, as it says, uh, in her head, and sorting it into quote-unquote bins, and having an importance slash priority matrix, all of which allow her to keep on track of multiple projects. And this makes her feel quite proud of herself. So let's have a chat about whether these strategies normally would be recommended for ADHD. Yeah, I haven't worked a lot with Mm. clients with ADHD. My understanding is more about like the diagnosis and the education side of things than the actual sort of 
quote unquote treatment. Um, I I understand that treatment and support for ADHD can include a a combination Mm. or any one of medication, education and therapy. So, you know, I won't be talking too much about medication. We, it's not really our uh, area of expertise as psychologists (laughs) anyway, but yeah, in terms of the therapy side of things that can, yeah, often involve really practical skills around things like time management and organization. Mm. So yeah, I think yeah. this sounded like the sort of strategies that I would be encouraging somebody to do if they mm. wanted to learn how to compensate for some of the forward yeah. planning difficulties they might be having. Hi, this is Leah Stuller, creator and host of YA Book Chat Podcast. If you love reading young adult books and chatting about them with your friends, then head on over to my podcast and take a listen. Each episode, my guests and I chat about a different YA book. We start spoiler free and then head into our spoiler section where we dive into the mysteries of each book and we do it with laughs and fun along the way. You can listen to YA Book Chat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcast. And now back to the show. I also have more experience on the diagnosis and assessment yeah. side of things so than working directly with someone just around ADHD because I've worked with a lot of children often the question for parents is often whether medication is appropriate and again you know it's not our role to make that decision for them because we're yeah. not pediatricians or psychiatrists and we're not trained in medication but often there's that is it stigma against medication the thinking of you know it's going to change the per- their child's personality, which often doesn't happen. Again, this is not evidence-based, this is <laughs> anecdotally, but often it seems to just turn down that volume of the noise in uh, someone's brain so that their real personality actually shines through. Yeah, yeah. it's just about, in theory, medication is just supposed to help somebody focus yeah. and just keep more on track yeah. <laughs> rather than, yeah, any kind of, actual changing who you are as a person Mm -hmm. yeah but I think the most important thing about treatment for ADHD is just just having professionals that you trust and having really clear discussions about your fears and what you want for your child as well yeah get a thorough understanding but look treatment can also focus on the broader impact of ADHD as well so Mm -hmm. things like understanding how it all works and how it fits in with you improving self-esteem if that's been impacted working on relationships yeah yeah and we see that as we've discussed we see that in Portia that she has all these core beliefs about herself that becomes a self-perpetuating cycle in terms of the way she interprets her quote-unquote failures and how she then deals with those failures yeah for sure it's good to note that we never actually get a formal diagnosis in this book and that's okay A lot of people self-diagnose with ADHD and they find validation in understanding the way that their brain works. Yeah, ADHD is typically diagnosed through a medical professional. It it looks slightly different when you diagnose somebody as a child than as an Mm -hmm. adult. But if you are getting a formal diagnosis as an adult, you know, start with your GP and they Mm -hmm. can refer you where to go. But, you know, a person might, for example, need to take a thorough history to understand how Mm -hmm. your ADHD may or may not have impacted on you yeah. since childhood. So, like, yeah. you know, might even involve things like looking at old school reports. Yeah, a common thing. <laughs> that that was from someone who just had to read a lot of school reports. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so one of the diagnostic criteria for ADHD is that characteristics were present before the age of 12. So yep. it is good to know what was going on for you then as well. Yeah, and if there's like a family member or somebody else who can vouch for that, mm-hmm. who can also give their impression yeah. of what 
you were like as a child that can really help too not everybody needs a formal diagnosis <laughs> so yeah. it's okay if you uh decide not to pursue that it can be helpful to understand and to get some professional advice and some tailored advice around what to do next mm, absolutely so meanwhile Portia and Tav's relationship grows closer as the novel progresses so mm-hmm. they develop a sexual relationship and around midway through Portia accidentally finds out a big secret that Tav is actually the son of a duke and after consulting with her friend Naledi the subject of book one of course Portia decides to tell Tav directly. Uh, Tav is blindsided and unsure what to do, but the news does eventually get out. Accidental press release. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm really glad that Portia clearly communicated this to Tav rather than keeping it a secret for far too long because that was um, a key plot point in A Princess in Theory yeah. that Naledi was a princess mm-hmm. who was lost to kingdom. Yeah. And... It took a long time for her to find out and her main love interest didn't really tell her this straight away yeah. and that was a big source of conflict in the book. So I'm glad that mm-hmm. Portia spoke to Naledi and said, you got to tell him. I just found that conversation because Naledi was pretty funny about it. She said, I know sometimes your judgment in how to present distressing news to someone can be lacking. So I'll say just gather your information, sit him down and tell him. No contrived situations to spring the truth on him, like orchestrating an elaborate and humiliating reveal in front of a crowd of strangers, which I think is what Portia did in book one about the Bezo. I can't remember, remember. but I think this is something she did because Portia's reply was like crying face emoji. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Lady was like, just remember that he's human. This is his life. Unless it's completely sedated, he will have a reaction to this. And when presented with an unknown reaction in a test subject, all you can do is watch and wait. And since he's not a lab rat, be there to help him through it. Yep. So their friendship's actually really, like, not just them. Mia is also a part of it. And that that sort of portrayal of female friendship is one of my favorite things about the series. Yeah, yeah. it's great. I love I love the group chat as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's excellent. Um. Okay, and then once Taff finds out, Portia starts giving him Duke lessons, drawing on her knowledge of U.S. high society. Taff then meets his awful racist cousin, David, who had... Boo, David. Yeah, yeah, he's the worst. <laughs> um, David had taken over the title in the absence of a direct heir from the previous Duke. Um, Taff starts to adjust into his new role as Duke, determined to change things for the better around issues such as migration and Brexit. Hmm. Yeah, and there's more stuff there around, you know, Tafish, pretty grumpy, and he's always like, why do I have to do this? Who cares about spoons <laughs> and conversations? And, you know, I like how Portia was like, as a knight, you would learn the rule of the land sort of thing. It's the same thing. And, you, you know, if you don't know the basic rules, then you can't win people over. Yep. <laughs> Just, this is a basic thing, Tafish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like it's not really about trying to change who Tav is, but mm-hmm. more giving him a leg up when it comes to mm. what may be his life now that the world is aware that he's actually the heir, um, yeah. that he's the Duke. Yeah, that's right. And I think at one stage, Tafish was like, you know, grumpy about the clothes that he has to wear <laughs> and who cares about this sort of things. And Portia actually turned that around to, well, at least half the population always has to care about what they look like. So again, pulling him up on his ingrained sexism, which is nice. Yes, definitely. <laughs> As the story progresses, Tav respects Portia yes. a lot more. Mm. And 
really learns to, he essentially falls in love with, he does fall in love with her. Like they fall in love with each other as they get closer and have that more mutual respect. And Mm. he becomes less grumpy and everything. I don't mind the grumpy Scotsman um, (laughs) as long as he's called out when he's inappropriate. And that happens less and less as the story goes on too. Yeah. He does unlearn, as you said before, some of those things. And which is important if he remains a sexist throughout the book mm, that's not okay fun. i yeah. wouldn't be interested in this series if uh, yeah. i like a flawed character who learns to overcome their flaws i yes. don't like a flawed character who's championed for- as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Their flaws. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we get some more general Duke-related drama as the story goes on. So at the emotional climax of the book, Portia is drugged, essentially roofied mm-hmm. at a formal event. And Tav believes that she became drunk and made a fool of herself. And the tabloids have a field day with the story. Portia's, quote unquote, former hookups start to come forward. And this all triggers a lot of negative thinking for Portia. So Mm. poor Portia had started to work through some of these core beliefs as she began to understand herself more. Mm. And this basically brings back all of the thoughts around her being a hot mess. So it's sad. Yeah, Tafish also, like, this brings up Tafish's own issues as well around relationships and the kind of person Portia is, and yeah, it's not great. No. Naledi arrives to support her. Just, again, I love their friendship. Like, she just arrives on a private plane. Yep. She yeah. can, why not? Yeah. And she was like, oh, we were just in Spain. We're just stopping by. <laughs> she was like, she looked around and was like, Tafish is in here and you're packed. Okay, I guess we're sending the special forces to deal with him later. <laughs> Portia also reconnects with Reggie mm. on a different level and they talk through a lot of Portia's perceptions about their relationship. Reggie reassures her that she's not a bad sister, that she's not terrible or cowardly and that pushing Reggie away helped no one. Reggie also says that she didn't need Portia's pity. I like that. I think Reggie seems like a great sister. She does. Yeah. She's, I do recommend the novella that's stars reggie it's really good i almost wish it was a full-length novel (laughs) yeah and even though she's a side character she feels quite developed as well which i do like and then by the end of the book um tav realizes that he does have feelings for portia and he does want her in his life despite Mm. the challenges he learned they both learn that Mm. she was actually drugged at the event and that david the the racist cousin david was ultimately behind it Tav apologises for assuming the worst and they decide to talk things out and, yeah, ultimately give their relationship a proper try. Yay. Which is nice. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't say things are fully healed by the end of the book, but Mm. they've worked through a lot and at least acknowledged their relationship is 
worth fighting for. Yeah, and they will actually have a relationship because they spend some of the book pretending that they're just getting each other out of their systems. Yeah, just a <laughs> bit of a friends with benefits situation, yeah. which we all know, you know in, in media at least, mm-hmm. never just stays as friends with benefits. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that wraps up our story. What are your favourite moments from this book? <laughs> well, I do love Tavin, his Scottish burr. Hashtag Sword Bay. Yeah. I, I did really like his character. I thought he was really funny as well. I had a lot of great moments. I also love Portia's friendships with Letty and Nia, continuing from book one mm. and continues into book three yeah. as well. We haven't touched on it, but I enjoyed the scenes with the restaurant that was attached to the armory, Doctor Who, H-U, <laughs> and the Doctor Who themed food that was yeah. coming out of there I thought was quite sweet. Mm, sounds very delicious. It does. And, yeah, but ultimately my favourite moments were actually the parts about ADHD. So mm. the scene where Portia first watches the Hot Mess Helper video, starts to realise that this might be actually related to her experiences and how the book handles that and presents that. I thought that was really great, just a pivot scene that came from that. It wasn't an integral part of the story. Like you probably could have not included that Mm -hmm. and the story still would have chugged along as per normal. But I thought the fact that was included, that it was explicitly named, Mm -hmm. really enhanced the story and I'm sure a lot of readers will get a lot out of it. Yeah, I agree. And what about you? Favourite moments? Oh, I, I love all the female friendship moments, especially yep. <laughs> Naledi just showing up and whisking Portia away from this terrible situation. <laughs> I love that. We didn't discuss this, but Johan showed up in the yeah. last quarter or third of the book. So Johan is known as the Prince of the Tabloid. So I think he's... Is it Johan or Johan? I don't know, actually. Is it Johan? How would a German person say it? Because <laughs> the thing is that... The country's made up and the language is made up. Yeah, so it's half French, half Half German. German. Yeah. So you get a lot more of it in book three and it's this weird, like, grammatically incorrect yeah. combination. <laughs> but, yeah, I I think I I read it in my head as Johan, but mm. the logical part of me is I think it's actually pronounced Johan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't know. Like, in my head it was Johan as well because that's how. Yeah. They do call him Joe and that yeah. would make more Actually, they call, call him Yoho. <laughs> Or yo yo. <laughs> this book needs a pronunciation guide. We start. should get an audio book. <laughs> yeah, we probably should have. <laughs> but that's like the audio book is how I know that it's Naledi. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, <laughs> I would say Johan, but if anyone wishes to correct yeah. me, you're welcome to. Johan arrived because he's friends with Naledi's fiance. Mm-hmm. And he's decided to come by and help Tafish with this whole becoming a Duke thing. And at one stage, Tafish was saying, you know, I can't do this by myself, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, Johan is portrayed in the tabloid as someone who's very party-going. Like, imagine past Prince Harry times 10. Yeah. So Johan says this, You're going to be tired all the time in this new life of yours. Do you know who bears the brunt of it when a man given power gets tired? And then he says, Portia is not your walking stick, Mackenzie. Mm-hmm. If you cannot <laughs> do something without her, that means that when you do something with her, you're bearing down on her with all your force. You're a large man, and every walking stick has a maximum load it can take before it snaps. Adding romantic liaisons only decreases the load-bearing cap- capabilities. So that last bit is Johan being, what's the word, anti-relationship. But the rest of it makes a good point, I think, that you know, Tafish really did rely on Portia a lot without maybe sometimes 
taking into account how it was affecting her. Yeah. So for him to point out that's not okay is really good. And I really like Tavish's relationship with his family. We didn't touch on it a lot, but there's a lot there around, again, classism, how they've been viewed their whole lives, how they have to fight against gentrification in their neighborhood as well. Yeah, and what it means to be like white passing in a family who visibly not white yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And his feelings around having to protect his brother or his parents from from racist people as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like Tavish. I think he's just a great flawed character. Yeah, he is grumpy but soft on the inside. <laughs> <sort of. laughs> Maybe that's my type. I'm just yeah. discovering that now. Okay, so star ratings. What would you give this one out of five? Um, I would give it a four stars. The chemistry between Portia and Tavish is really good. And I'm like, a part of me was like, mm, she's 27, she's 38. That's like, in, an, in, in any other circumstances, that's a bit of a red flag. I, was, I know it's not important, but I thought it was 29 and 39. Oh, but there's wrong. a 10, 10, 10 year gap, I think. I think the important thing here is that Tavish has not made a habit of dating much younger women. And that's the important distinction. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, I, I think I've said this is the third time I'm saying it, but I love the continued portrayal of the female friendship from book mm-hmm. one and the value that Portia places on it. We had this discussion in our third and reasons why episode about how female friendships sometimes get portrayed as toxic or just bitchy. Yeah. That's never been the case here, except for when Portia was shown to be really out of line in the yeah. first book. Yeah, but that was never portrayed as being like, oh, all female friendships are like no. this. It was, you know, a friendship where one person wasn't pulling her weight yeah. and that was called out and mm. she made effort yeah. to try to be a better person yeah. and to try to improve herself and to repair the relationship. So. I think that's what I like, stories where you can see relationships where Mm. things go wrong, but often it's a misunderstanding or miscommunication Mm. and both parties work on that, I think is really nice. Yeah, absolutely. Not just relationships, like (laughs) romantic, but but platonic as well. It's that balance between, this is obviously a romance novel, but Portia's whole life isn't revolving around just Tavish. I think there's actually a lot packed into this book. It's got a lot of intersectionality because mm. we've discussed there's sexism being called out, racism being called out, gentrification being highlighted and how that impacts the people who used to live in that neighborhood. It's just I appreciate that everything that is being portrayed in this book gets named or called out. Yeah, I do really appreciate that too. And it never, you know, in my opinion, it doesn't come across in a way that's like preachy as well. I think it's really nicely integrated within the storyline. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just it's just part of the character. Exactly. Yeah. Can't remember why it's a five stars. I think it's be- just because I have other five stars romance in my head. and it's <laughs> Dan, it's pretty high. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, this one's just not quite there. It's great, but yeah. <laughs> there I are... think four stars is a really yeah. good rating. Anyway. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> what about you, Elise? What's your rating? I gave this one four stars as well. I agree with what you said. I think it's a solid, fun, sexy romance, Mm. good chemistry. Love the Scottish setting. And yeah, I thought the ADHD representation was really solid and elevated this book for me, that kind of unique aspect and really important representation. Mm. We don't see a lot. It's my favourite of the three books as well for those reasons. In terms of the ADHD rep, I thought the most interesting thing was how it led Portia 
to experience those core beliefs, you know, mm-hmm. feeling that she's a hot mess and so on. So I really liked that it wasn't just like this character has ADHD and here are her symptoms. Yeah. It's this character has ADHD. Let's look at this in the bigger picture and what that means for her family, her relationships, yeah. her career. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was, yeah, portrayed really nicely and with, with complexity. Mm, absolutely. Um, I also liked that Portia repaired her relationship with her sister towards the end of the book, but there's still work to do with her parents. So mm. I felt that was realistic. That wouldn't all be resolved by the end. Yeah, I think her parents have done a lot of damage. Yeah, mm. and that might take years to repair that realistically. The only reason, yeah, that's not a five star for me is like as someone who's not really a big romance reader, I'm not mm. a a big fan of the what I call the three-act romance book, mm. <laughs> the third act where they break up for a, a reason that I know is going to get resolved and they get together again. And that's just a kind of genre thing yeah. for me. It's just not my mm. fave. And I also did feel that the last 40 pages or so were really quite rushed with, you know, lots of miscommunications, Portia being drugged, declarations of love at a garden party, everything going back to normal-ish uh, by the end. Mm. I just, yeah, the pacing I thought could have been just a, a little bit altered and that would have improved it for me. But, yeah, ultimately for someone who's not a big romance reader, I thought this was a really great book. I read about this book online. It's called You Deserve Each Other. You might like it because it actually starts with the couple on the verge of breaking up yeah. and they're trying to sabotage each other So the because they, they book the wedding venue so whoever calls it off is responsible for paying for that venue. Oh. So they try to push <laughs> the other to the edge but then... Obviously, because it's a romance novel, they figure out that actually maybe there's still some things there and they fix <laughs> things up. And so it probably affords the act-free breakup. <laughs> yeah, I think I like a, a flipped or an atypical type of romance yeah. genre or for the characters to get together and to just stay together. Yeah, that's my style, I think. Yeah. And why I'm attracted to like rom-coms like 500 Days of Summer and Crazy mm. Stupid Love that I think... They play with the genre yeah. a bit more yeah. and things are, don't go in the same, mm-hmm. you know, they're not as predictable mm-hmm. as some other storylines are. Yeah, and I guess that's a conversation about what you're looking for when you come to a genre, I guess. Yeah. Like I read so much of it liking the predictability because I think for me going into romance means that I know what I'm getting and I don't have to worry <laughs> about that. And for me, that's why I love it. Yeah. But that's not what other readers might want. Yeah, it's it's just a personal choice thing. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with following that mm. kind of structure. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, the reason this was elevated for me yeah. was because of the, the ADHD representation, how that was handled, as well as the intersectionality yeah. and, yeah, the female friendships and so on. Mm-hmm. So there were those elements that made it quite a strong book for me within the genre. Mm. With that digression, yeah. <laughs> we have now finished our recap and review and we'll briefly talk about resources. On our website, some of the resources we will link to in our blog post will include information about ADHD and tips to help manage. We'll include an article from um, ABC about ADHD in girls and women. Mm. We'll also link to a YouTube channel called How to ADHD. Um, Unfortunately, we don't have a hot mess helper, but this is, I kind of understand it's a similar concept. Yeah. Um, So it's a channel by Jessica McCabe who has ADHD herself. And 
Alyssa Cole has said herself that she's found these videos helpful and yeah. that watching them was part of the reason why she started to think that she might have ADHD herself when oh. a friend shared them with her. Yeah, so I'm like, cool. oh, it's the same thing that happened in the book. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. If you like this book and are keen to check out similar fiction novels, you should, first of all, check out the rest of the Reluctant Royal series. <laughs> and if you enjoy Taft's Duke lessons, you may enjoy Tessa Dare's Any Duchess Will Do, in which a duke attempts to transform a serving girl into duchess material. There's actually a funny quote in this book from a librarian. Portia says, do you have any books about dukes? The librarian's eyes went wide and she rubbed her hands together with glee. We have a fantastic romance section. She said, do you need recommendations? How do you like your dukes? Grumpy? Tortured? Alpha, beta, or alpha in the streets, beta in the sheets. <laughs> <laughs> and so good. I know. So it's like, obviously, if you like dukes or stories about dukes, there are lots and lots. Definitely not a shortage. Tessa Dare and Courtney Milan are my go-to writers for not just dukes, but just historical romances in general. So I would suggest start there. Yep. <laughs> Plenty of makeover stories in history as well. You know, even like The Princess Diaries, one of my favourites when uh, I was growing yes. up. Or in something like My Fair Lady. Yeah. Yeah. Flip, gender flipped. Yes. Though, of course. But yeah, yeah. no shortage. <laughs> Surprise Royal is a subgenre of its own. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> really tapping into that fantasy, I think. Yeah. Alyssa Cole actually wrote a really good article about how you shouldn't write off the princess storyline just because the white women all have got their turn yes. yeah <laughs> um we'll also include some voices from lived experience yes so we'll link to a ted talk from jessica mccabe who we mentioned earlier jessica talking about her experience growing up with adhd called failing at normal an adhd success story it's actually really good yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll also link to a review from Melanie from Mel to the Any. Melanie is a book reviewer who has ADHD herself and said, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, along with most mental illness, is still held as stigmatized. But seeing Portia slowly coming to the realization that nothing is wrong with her and she was just a little different, that, that she's the furthest thing from a failure. And her realizing her self-worth was an honor to read and brought me to tears so many times. That's lovely. Love representation. Yeah. <laughs> That wraps us up for today. For all of the resources we mentioned in this episode, check out our website, novelfeelings.com. We post an episode summary and links to further reading for each episode, as well as information about getting support for you or somebody that you care about. If you like us, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to ask us a question or to chat, you can send us a message via our website or social media. So you can find us on Twitter, Goodreads and Instagram at novel underscore feelings on all of those platforms. You can also find me on Instagram slash bookstagram at paved with books with an extra S. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to our review of The Duke by default. Hope you go and pick up the Reluctant Royal series now. Yeah, go do it. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.